0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Final Inspection Final inspection. Now, Dennis Michelson of D-Mike Media is here to give us the inside track on NASCAR and the world of short track racing.
1: I like this song. I like it too. eh? Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary, the great, Great Leaks Dragway. Absolutely.
2: Get your 2019 season passes now. Affordable and awesome.
1: And joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, it is from Danville, Illinois, Dennis Michelson. Dennis, welcome to the show, sir.
3: Mr. Steve, it is great to be back for another season here on the final inspection.
1: And I would be remiss to not mention two of the greatest drivers to come from Danville. That would be Larry Boom Boom Cannon and his brother Steve.
3: Well, we've got another pretty good one now. Uh, Of course, he's from Oakwood, which is just down the block. But Bobby Pierce, who's one of the best uh, short track racers, and we saw him at the uh, Eldora truck race a few years ago, really making a scene. Uh, Bobby Pierce is from this area as
1: well. He is a good uh, shoe, especially in the late model dirt series. So Uh, very good, Dennis. And uh, so when you saw the number six kind of sliding down the backstretch at uh, Daytona, (laughs) did you go, oh, Stenhouse is in trouble?
3: No, I'm maybe even worse than that. I'm going, my goodness, you're off to a bad start
2: (laughs) to the season. Yeah, well, that was because Viagra wasn't on the hood of the car still, you know? He could have kept it going yeah, straight if that was the case.
3: Whenever I see the six, I'm I'm expecting to see the Valvoline colors. You know, I'm old school, but uh, but no, it's I mean, I'm having a little trouble. I guess there's like 17 different driver and crew chief changes this year. Uh, you can't tell the players without a scorecard. And I can't even find a good scorecard because Jayski's missing in action. Yep. I mean it is it is getting bad around here for NASCAR fans you know but uh I I will say this one thing that I do want to pass along I was so thankful cuz you know we're in the media but we're fans we're not kidding each other we're not journalists we're fans and when I saw Mr. Bob Pocris get signed by Fox Sports I was like thank goodness because yeah. he's one that covers this uh this sport so great and I hated to see with ESPN doing all their cuts, that uh, that Mr. Pockers, uh is going to be with us for another season.
1: That, that was, yeah, that is certainly good news. Uh, speaking of drivers, I guess we should just go right down the line here. Uh, the big one, of course, is uh, the seventy-eight car is gone. Martin, Martin Truex, and this one we knew about last year, but of course, moving to the nineteen car of Joe Gibbs Racing. So, what what, what do you th- you think uh, that nineteen car hits the ground running with uh, Truex? I think they should, right?
3: I actually think that Martin Truex Jr. should be better this year. And the main reason is the last couple of seasons of this, you know, Toyota exchange of information between the 78 car and the uh, Joe Gibbs racing cars, it stopped being as fluid as it had been at the beginning of that relationship. So, a lot of the key players from that 78 team, including his co- uh, crew chief, Cole Pern, and also his car chief came over and one of his head engineers came over. And now they're going to be sharing data and making sure they're getting all the information that all the Toyota teams are getting. So I would expect even anything that he's going to have a better season this year.
2: Well, the reason it stopped being so fluid is because the 78 was whooping their behinds. And, you know, uh, Joe Gibbs treated Furniture Row like a redheaded stepchild. And so I think you're right. I think hopefully he goes in, you know, and is looked upon as equal footing as the other teams and not the quote-unquote new guy because, you know, Furniture Row was – they were having their way with Gibbs there for a long time.
3: Yeah, it's pretty amazing the amount of talent that Joe Gibbs Racing has over there. But when you kind of look at their driver lineup and you figure maybe a Denny Hamlin is the third best driver at his own team now, that's pretty incredible. Uh, and it's kind of going to be one and one eight between Trucks Junior. and Kyle Busch, I think.
1: That's a good point. Uh, moving forward, oh, and I, I forgot, I forgot Bubby Jones from Danville, Illinois, great uh, USAC uh, sprint car driver, still around. Bubby. Still, uh, in the Indianapolis area, I see him once in a while at lunch. Nice, good guy, and out and about. Uh, it's the thirty-one. Ryan Newman, of course, we mentioned this before, moves to the number six car, vacated by actually Trevor Bra- Trevor Bain, not actually Ricky Stenhouse.
3: Yeah, this is going to be an interesting move. Um, Ryan Newman got a lot out of that. Uh, that 31 car the last couple of years, I don't think there's any question that Richard Childress racing, except that the restrictor plate track is not fielding equipment that was as good as the Toyota teams for sure, or uh, some of the top Ford teams. So you put Ryan Newman in a situation where, you know, Trevor Bain, I hated to see him go. He's a good kid and all that kind of stuff, but he just has been underproducing, but so has Roush Fenway Racing. It's been, you know, a long time since they've had a driver over there. Uh, been like four or five years since Greg Biffle was over there and and running in the chase. Uh, since they've had a real legitimate contender. I mean, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. has been okay, but have we looked at him as a threat to win every week? I really expect some good things out of Ryan Newman, but I still don't think that Roush Fenway team will be nearly as uh, strong as it could be. Otherwise, heck, Fenway, uh, you know, they would have signed Craig Kimbrell for the uh, Boston Red Sox. So they can't afford all that money. They're certainly not going to spend it on the uh, on the racing team, uh, you know, going forward here if they can't afford a relief pitcher for the Bo Sox.
1: And this is a kind of interesting situation. Uh, late last year, you had Matt, Matt DiBenedetto in the 32 saying, I'm stepping away from the car. I want to be a free agent. I want to see what offers I can get. So he's in the, the 95 that was, of course, last year uh, raced by uh, Casey Kane. And, you know, some people maybe go, oh, yeah, okay, well, good move by him, 95. And I, I said this last year. I said, you know, that 95 car is better and is making increments. And I thought they would make a bigger step last year with Casey Kane. Now you wonder with his health issues and whatnot, maybe he wasn't getting all. You know they weren't getting the performance. Maybe they were getting who knows. But Matt, you know he he has a lot of respect in the garage. He's, he's I think a better driver than uh, the general public may think he is, isn't he? Yeah,
3: I think he is. And if you look at that ninety five car, traditionally back a few years when Michael McDowell was running it, and then last year with Casey Kane, and now with Guido, they call him because uh, nobody can get the Benedetto right. Um, but when you look at that car, it's always been good at the restrictor plate tracks. I kind of expect them to be a sleeper for a top ten finish here at uh, at the restrictor plate tracks again this year. Because uh, old Guido's got a pretty good rating at Daytona, considering how bad the equipment he's been driving. Mm-hmm. This is a step up, but there is such a have and have not. There's such a split between the top teams and then the other guys in NASCAR. Except for the restrictor plate tracks, I don't think you're going to see them compete. Although, looking at the test that they did out in Vegas with this new rule package for the intermediate tracks, it looked a lot like a restrictor plate racing. So I'm kind of wondering if this season at the intermediate tracks, we're going to see some of the the Levine family racing and some of the other second-tier teams do quite well.
1: And you have, of course, the 41 with uh, Kyle Busch moving over to the number Kurt. one, Kurt Busch, uh, moving on over to the one, just peeling off that four.
3: Yeah, they they had to move points around and, and everything else to to make room uh, in the end. But, uh, yeah, it's it is crazy. I mean, we're going to watch the first couple of races here, and we're not going to be sure who's racing what. It's going to be really weird. Uh, trying to get used to all these uh, new guys and new numbers.
1: And then uh Corey LaJoy, I mean going from you know, going from TriStar over to uh the thirty two, which Matt De was in. Um, it'll be interesting to see uh how much bench sheet metal that car gets this here. It's gonna be a bomb,
3: <laughs> And it's gonna get some uh some some problems maybe with his facial features. Did you see the car oh. they bring to Daytona? Oh, is it? Got his yes. face on it. Yeah. And, yeah. and the cool thing is, is when they were getting ready to to put it in the trailer and they were taking pictures of it. One of the crew guys used some white tape to, to give him like buck teeth. It was hilarious. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, he's that team is another one of these teams that has been sort of outproducing their budgets in the past. I mean, I don't expect great things out of them, but with this new rule package that NASCAR has put in and taking more power away from the engines, maybe we're going to see some of these upstarts get lucky at a few of these races, just like they do at the restrictor plate. So this is going to be a crazy season, and then it's going to be amazing to see what happens in victory lane starting uh, next week for the Daytona 500 because this new hey, we're going to really DQ the winner and take a win away, that's something NASCAR hasn't done in in decades.
1: Many years. In fact, let's uh, take a – before
2: we get to that one, Dennis, the last one, number 19, Daniel Suarez, he goes to the 41 uh, for Stuart Haas replacing Kurt Busch. Do you expect Suarez to have a better season this year than he did last season?
3: No, I don't. Uh, Daniel Suarez is a very talented driver at the Xfinity level. But he has been a great example of how big of a jump it is from Xfinity to Cup. I don't expect anything more than what we saw out of him the last couple of years.
1: Fair enough. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll talk about disqualifications and more in the world of NASCAR when we return after this break. You're listening to the Final Inspection Show brought to you by legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove.
0: Final Inspection Final Inspection Now, Dennis Michaelson of D-Mike Media is here to give us the inside track on NASCAR and the world of short track racing
1: And welcome back to the Final Inspection show Joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline it is Dennis Michaelson. And uh, Dennis, big change coming up in NASCAR for this year, and that is that NASCAR will disqualify winners for failing post-race inspection at the track. And uh, before we jump into that, I want to kind of give a background on this. This goes back many, many, many years ago to Big Bill France Sr., who in the past had a policy of which uh, when when he said when when, I, when the fans go see the race on Sunday – I don't want them to read on Monday that instead of uh, Junior Johnson, you know, they saw Junior Johnson win, and then uh, on Monday they read it was actually Rex White or Lee Petty or whoever actually was the winner. He wanted to, the fans when they left the track to know that the guy, the guy they saw winning, was actually the winner. And uh, we, there's been a, a big change in that, uh, hasn't there?
3: Yeah, and it's actually quite ironic that he would say that because he milked the very first Daytona 500 race on the speedway. He milked that photo finish for like three days or four days to make sure it was in the sports stories the whole time before he officially declared a winner. So I always thought that was kind of funny. And the very first strictly stock race back in 1949, uh, the guy was disqualified for having non-stock springs in the car. So, this was originally a NASCAR goal, changed, you know, towards the last few years, I guess, that, that Big Bill French uh, Sr. was in charge. Bill French Jr. continued that trend, and it's been that er- way ever since that we haven't heard about a DQ or, or even a penalty until Wednesday of the, of the, after the race because lately they've been taking the cars back to R&D. Now, NASCAR is telling us that they will have a decision on whether a car was legal or not in 90 minutes after the race, and if the top team is disqualified, then they go to the second-place car. If he fails inspection, they'll go to the third, and so on until they declare a winner. So 90 minutes or so after the race, we'll know whether the second-place team is going to be the winner instead. And then, you know, my big concern is, will they find something that they're not sure of and have to still take something back to R&D? NASCAR always sets up these rules, but I don't think they think through the worst-case scenarios.
1: Right, and there's been a couple situations where, I want to say 1960, Richard Petty won his first race up at Toronto, and he was protested. And the person who protested his win was his father, Lee, and it was actually taken away from him. So you got yeah. Richard Petty marching past 50 wins, past 100 wins, up past 150 wins, and he's approaching 200 wins. And you know they, they, this this scenario was brought up of how ironic it would be if if he hit 199, and and the reason why he doesn't hit uh, 200 was because of Lee uh, protesting his first win. Well, then a situation occurred. Uh, in the early early 80s at Charlotte when he had a massive oversized engine and won the uh I think it was then the National 500 if I recall what right in 83 it wasn't with uh it wasn't with uh, uh petty motorsports though. I think it was when he was racing for Mike Curb and uh the, that was his 198th win I believe or 199th right around there and they gave him the win because well, it's Richard Petty, and we want him to hit 200. So I thought that was interesting. And, and it's funny how you mentioned that, you know, we'll go to the next guy and then the next guy. That actually occurred in qualifying at Daytona in 1976. It was, I want to say, Daryl Waltrip, A.J. Foyt, and Dave Marcus, maybe it was. And and it was they got disqualified. So your front row of the 1976 Daytona 500 was two guys from Iowa Ramos Stott and Terry Ryan. So I always thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it should be inter- interesting to see how this develops over over the year, uh, this coming year, Dennis.
3: Yeah, and they're also getting out ahead of this because as soon as they announced this, my first thought was, hey, everybody is going to stuff it into the wall while they're doing their post-race burnouts, and then they'll have an excuse if something's a little off-kilter. Now NASCAR is saying that they might implement a, a new process that will not allow burnouts after the race. So everything that they're trying to think of, they're going to have to get out ahead of these crew chiefs. I think it's a good idea in practice. It's no different, though, um, than like the world of outlaws. You go across the scales. If it's legal going across the scales, you get the win. If it's not, you get the would Um, This is sort of the NASCAR version of this because there's a few more things that they have to check. But, um, again, I think they've been a little too stringent in post-race tech lately. Uh, Some of the things that they have caught, it's like, why didn't you catch these things in pre-race? And some of the other things were clearly because of damaged cars, like when Clint Boyer years ago uh, got nailed and and almost cost him uh, a trip to the playoffs. So there's a lot of different things that have been done over the years where, um, you know, if it's because of damage, I'm not so sure that that car is supposed to be 100% legal because it's not in the pristine shape it was before the 500-mile race.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do about uh, post-race burnouts, too. I mean, if you want to, you know, get away with something on your uh, quarter panels, well, just burn, you know, burn them off when you do your uh, burnouts, right?
3: Yeah, and famously they, you know, remember there was the tape that they caught pre-race at Talladega one year where, um, you know, the crew chief for Jimmy Johnson told him, hey, if you win it, back it into the wall. Um, You know, nobody was sure whether he was joking or not, but, you know, all it takes is a very little minute change that you can make to the car, and all of a sudden it doesn't pass post-race tech. It's going to be interesting to see how they implement this, and I am betting that very quickly into the season we'll see this 90-minute goal be blown away. It'll end up being about three hours.
1: Well, fans of the Milwaukee Mile may remember there was a situation in 1983 where this happened, and this is where, you know, sanctioning bodies can get themselves in trouble. Uh, Tom Tom Sneva had won the... uh, the Dana 150 cart uh, uh, race at Milwaukee IndyCar race, and uh, they went into victory lane, and everybody was standing up on uh, on the side pods and that. And so when they measured them, they were too low, and everybody was saying, "Well, we had you know like literally ten people on the car after the race in victory lane. You know this is ridiculous." And they had to go through, so they you know they they had actually took the the race from him and gave it to uh, Al Enzer who was in second place and then uh you know and then they had uh you know they had they had the little tribunal and everything and they gave it back to sneva but you know it, it's nobody wants to read about you know who the race winner was you know three months later like they did with uh, indianapolis in 1981 so uh, you know nascar I, I understand what they're trying to do here Like like you were saying, that you can also it, it, it's a slippery road you can get into. With if you're checking things so closely, you know, are you going to be disqualifying? You know, first, second, third, fourth, and are we going to see somebody like Matt Matt De Benedetto win a race here just because the first five cars were disqualified?
3: Yeah, it, it could get crazy. And when it comes to uh, NASCAR crew chiefs, um, all of this is being implemented, of course, because the crew chiefs have been very creative and what they've been doing and none of the penalties have worked so far so you know this is nascar's next attempt to stop it
1: all right uh dennis thank you for joining us and uh well actually as the you know the midwest season the short track season gets going we'll actually talk more about the short track racing right now it's primarily down south you know with the snowball derby and of course we had the chili bowl a couple weeks ago and uh well, it's certainly chat when we have more time about uh, with the, what's going on in the world of short track racing, Dennis.
3: Yeah, and Milwaukee's got one of their very own that's going to be a hot name in the business, Sam Mayer, uh, whose uh, whose dad raced Indy Car back in the day. Sam Mayer is going to be one of the stories that we are covering all season long out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in a great driver development program. This kid is likely to be like the next Eric Jones.
1: All right. It'll be interesting to follow uh, his story, and uh, we'll certainly appreciate you coming on the show. And we'll chat uh, next week.
3: Sounds good, Z Man.
1: All right. Thank you. That's Dennis Michelson. Make sure to check out his stuff at D Mike Media. And when we come back, we'll be talking with David Land from uh, YouTube and on, on the Final Inspection Show brought to you by Great Lakes Dragway.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?